Last week, we began looking at the book of Joshua. And as Steve introduced us to this book, we saw it begins with a death. Moses has gone. Moses was the one who led Israel out of Egypt. But now a new leader, Joshua, has the job of leading Israel into the land God promised them. And transitions from one leader to another can be very difficult times. The people being led can feel unsettled and fearful. We can see that today in the business world. Whenever Steve Jobs died and got replaced by, what's his name? It created a lot of uncertainty over Apple's future. Whatever his name is, and whoever good he is, he's not Steve Jobs. When Alex Ferguson stepped down, we were all hoping for some uncertainty at Manchester United. And our hopes have come true over the last couple of years. And at the moment, there's uncertainty after the death of King Abdullah in Saudi Arabia. People are wondering, what direction is that country going to go now? How is that going to affect the rest of the Middle East? We're familiar with leadership transitions. And so we can imagine the state Israel's in as the book of Joshua opens. As Steve pointed out last week, Joshua certainly has the character and the ability and the calling. But even so, he's not Moses. And the job ahead of Israel is massive. Because the land God promised them is not empty. There are who knows how many thousand Canaanites already living there. So it's not a case of the Israelites just moving in. I'm sure the mood in the Israelite camp is a bit tense. It would have been tense even if Moses was still around. But he's not. And so Joshua chapter 1 is about God stepping in to reassure his people Israel. God reminds them that he is their real leader. And his message in chapter 1 is very simple. It's repeated four times so we won't miss it. Be strong and courageous. Let's read what God says. If you haven't turned there already, it's page 216 or in the large print 330. Joshua chapter 1. We're going to begin reading at verse 5 down to the end of chapter 1. God is speaking here to Joshua. God says, No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night 
so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, The Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. But all your fighting men, ready for battle, must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest, as he has done for you, and until they too have taken possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan towards the sunrise. Then they answered Joshua, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you, as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you may command them, will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. This is God's word. Many of you have seen the film, The Sound of Music, I'm sure. And I'm sure there's plenty of wonderful stuff in that film. But there is one very silly line. In one of the songs, Julie Andrews' character sings, I have confidence in confidence alone. I'm not even sure what that means. I think it means... She's trying to be strong and courageous, but she has no foundation for it. She's trying to build her confidence on thin air, just by telling herself to be confident. It sounds silly whenever it's put so bluntly, but actually that's the way many people live. They try to face life with boldness and assurance but they have no firm reason to be bold and assured. They might be trying to trust in their own skills or strength or charm, but those are not firm foundations. Many people try to face death with confidence, but they don't have any reason to be confident. They're just hoping it'll turn out all right. I mention that because when we read this passage calling us to be strong and courageous, we ought to be asking, why should I be strong and courageous? 
What reasons do I have to be strong and courageous? That's what these Israelites should have been asking. And as we try to apply this to ourselves, we have to ask the same questions. Because if our confidence has to be based on confidence alone, then we have reason to be afraid, not courageous. But what we find is that in this passage, God gives Joshua and Israel three sources of strength and courage. The promise of God's presence, the guidance of God's word, and the unity of God's people. The first reason to be strong and courageous is the promise of God's presence. In verses 5 to 9 here, God is speaking specifically to Joshua. And notice again what he says to Joshua in verse 5. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Joshua is to be strong and courageous because God has promised to be with him all the time. It's significant to realize that when God called Moses, he gave Moses exactly the same promise. At the time, Moses was working as a shepherd in the Sinai Desert. God spoke to him from a burning bush, saying to Moses, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people out of Egypt. And on that occasion, Moses started to argue with God. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out? In other words, how could I do a job like that? How could I face that powerful enemy? And equally, how could I lead such a cantankerous people as Israel? And God's response to Moses was, I will be with you. It doesn't really matter who you are, Moses. It doesn't really matter what your abilities are. What matters is that I will be with you. That's the reason you can go down there with confidence. And here, Joshua probably feels equally intimidated by the job that's in front of him. If the great man Moses was afraid of the Egyptians, his assistant must certainly be afraid of the Canaanites and of leading the still cantankerous Israelites. But God gives Joshua the same reason to go with confidence. I will be with you and I'll never leave you. And in the New Testament, God's promise is repeated to Christians. In the book of Hebrews, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. The risen Jesus repeats it to his disciples. At the end of Matthew's gospel, he says, go, make disciples. That's your mission. And I am with you, always. God has never expected his people to rely on the power of positive thinking. That's not where our confidence is supposed to come from. 
It's not supposed to come from our own abilities either. It comes from the promise of God's presence. Now, it's true, Joshua has a very big responsibility. All of the Israelites do. They need to be careful to obey and use what God has given them. God is going to underline that in verses 7 to 8. But before we look at those verses, look down to verse 9. God says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. You notice how the promise of God's presence is wrapped around the verses that call Joshua to do things. There are plenty of things Joshua and Israel and you and me are called to do. But Israel will conquer Canaan and you and I will get to heaven ultimately because God is with us. Not because we have tried ever so hard and not because we've made good and wise decisions. Our confidence lies in the promise of God's presence. When we go to school or work, it might feel like we're stepping into enemy territory. But we can be sure God is with us. And he won't leave us. When we go for surgery, he's with us. Even when we're out cold on the operating table. And when finally we face death, he will be with us then too. That's the wraparound promise. And then in between those repeated promises of God's presence, God gives a second source of strength and courage. The guidance of God's word. Look at verse 7. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. The law God is talking about here is the first five books of the Old Testament. The rest of the Old Testament hasn't been written by this point. But the word translated law here also means instruction. And later on, the word is sometimes used to refer to the whole of God's instruction, the whole of his written word. So the things God is calling Joshua to do here can today be applied to the whole Bible. Joshua is told to obey it and not turn from it so that he will be prosperous and successful. Then he's told to keep it on his lips And meditate on it. Literally, he is to mutter it. That's what meditation on scripture is. It doesn't have to be out loud, but it involves chewing over what we read. Thinking it over. 
not just skimming through it so we can take a few chapters off on our reading chart. We're to dwell on it. Turn it over in our minds. Work it through our thinking, into our hearts, and out into our lives. And in case we missed it the first time, Joshua is told if he does this, if he takes God's word to heart and lives it out, he will be prosperous and successful. And so we have to ask, what exactly is God promising here? Is he saying, digest the Bible, obey it, and you'll never go hungry again? You'll get that great job you've applied for and the wonderful marriage that you dream about. You'll never get cancer. You'll never go bankrupt. And your kids will turn out wonderfully. Is that what God's promising? Well, if that is what God means by prosperous and successful, then his promise has been broken lots of times. Because God's people do sometimes get sick. They do go hungry sometimes. Their finances do sometimes collapse. They don't always have work. Or wonderful marriages or dream families. But in fact, God has not promised us a trouble-free life. Earlier, we read Psalm 1 together. And that psalm helps us understand what this promise of prosperity actually means. Psalm 1 speaks about the person whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. So it's talking about exactly the kind of person Joshua is called to be. And Psalm 1 makes the same link between meditation on Scripture and prosperity. That person, says someone, that's the person who meditates on God's word, is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Trees do not get exemptions from tough times. They have to face all kinds of rough weather. Scorching wind sometimes, blazing sun other times, snow and ice, drought. But when trees put down deep roots, they survive the wind and the frosts and the dry spells. Instead of being withered by those things, they produce fruit. They prosper. That picture helps us understand the kind of prosperity we can expect when we put our roots deep into God's word. We will not be exempted from tough times. We'll face the same storms as everyone else, sometimes worse. But we will prosper even in the midst of those challenges. Tim Keller says that here prosperity means not that we'll have everything we want, but that nothing we do will ever be in vain. 
when we drink in the wisdom and the guidance of God's word, our lives will count. Always. The work and energy of our lives will not disappear like straw in the wind. It will count. Our lives will bring fruit that will last. Eternal fruit. Nothing we do will ever be in vain. That is what the Bible means by prosperity and success. That is what is promised to the man or woman who takes God's word to heart and lives it out. That's what Joshua is being promised with regard to his leadership of Israel. If he is careful to lead according to God's word, then he can lead with courage and confidence because his leadership will count. It will not be in vain. Something of lasting value will come of it. Don't we want our lives to be like that? Isn't that the kind of prosperity and success we long for? To have our lives count? The way to become that kind of person is to meditate on this instruction until it becomes part of us, until it masters our minds and our hearts. Then our lives are going to count. They cannot fail to count when they're lived according to the wisdom and guidance of the Creator. It does have to be said, often leading according to God's wisdom and living according to God's wisdom is often going to lead us into what looks from a human perspective like danger and difficulty and loss. C.T. Studd was a very wealthy young man, and he was also a top cricketer in the late 1800s. And he walked away from all of that to become a missionary. From this world's perspective, that doesn't look like wisdom. It doesn't look like success. But in fact, C.T. Studd's life influenced literally a whole generation of young Christians. It inspired them to take the good news about Jesus to unreached places around the world. C.T. Studd's life was wildly prosperous and successful from heaven's point of view. His life produced fruit that will last for all eternity. And in giving you that example, I'm not suggesting we should all walk away from our careers. God needs Christian teachers and Christian accountants and Christian hairdressers who live according to his word. So the point to take away is not go and switch careers. The point is make your career count by living out God's wisdom in whatever you're doing. Even if it means you miss out on promotion because of it. Or that you miss out financially because of it. 
For Joshua, following God's guidance is going to lead him into a war zone. But he can go there courageously. He can go knowing his life is going to count in that war zone because his life is guided by God's word. A few months ago, the people of Scotland famously decided things are better together. They decided the future was brighter with their British brothers and sisters than it was apart from them. They decided there was strength in unity. And that essentially is the point of verses 10 to 18 in our passage. The third source of strength and courage in this passage is the unity of God's people. And in order to understand these verses, we have to see where the Israelites are at this point. The Israelites are camped here at a place called Shittim. And they got there by traveling up here. Up originally from Egypt and then finally through Edom and Moab. And what we need to know to understand our passage is the land they're about to claim is here, west of the Jordan River. It's across the river from where they're camped. The Jordan is that thin blue line running between the Sea of Galilee in the north and the Dead Sea in the south. But out of the 12 tribes of Israel, two and a half have already claimed their land here, east of the Jordan. The book of Numbers tells us how Israel conquered this land on their way to Shittim. And after they'd conquered the land, the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh asked Moses if this land could become their inheritance. And their request was granted. What does that have to do with the book of Joshua? Well, it means those two and a half tribes could shrink back from crossing over the Jordan. They have already got their land on the east side of the Jordan. And they know there's a fight waiting on the other side of the river. Why would they risk their necks to help others find rest? Joshua knows that before this conquest even starts, almost a quarter of his army could decide to opt out of the fight. And what could he do about it? Fight them and make his army even smaller? Even before Israel faces the Canaanites, she has to face the enemy of disunity. And in our passage, this is where the uncertainty comes in. God's promises can be trusted. His word can be trusted. But can his people be trusted? Will the two and a half tribes set their own comfort aside and decide to fight alongside the others? That's the question. Will God's people be united? 
Imagine the discouragement that would set in if a quarter of the army decided to go home and work in the garden. Unity can fill an army with strength and courage. Disunity can send it into disarray. Well, look what happens. Verses 10 and 11 tell how Joshua got the people as a whole packing up. But, verse 12, to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, The Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. But all your fighting men, ready for battle, must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest, as he has done for you, and until they too have taken possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan towards the sunrise. Then they answered Joshua, Whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you may command them will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. The two and a half tribes get it. They understand that God's people are better together. They're going to put their own comfort on hold for the sake of the others. And notice, this is a wholehearted unity. They're not just going to march together They are all going to submit to the same word of God as it comes to them through God's chosen leader, Joshua. This unity is a constant threat for God's people. It didn't just threaten God's people on the banks of the Jordan. It's always a threat and it can creep in so easily. When it does, it can drain away so much of our strength and our courage. How often has a church failed to move forward because the members of the church won't unite in the mission God has given them? There are different ways it can happen. It can come about when part of the church decides they know better than God's word. And they're going to live by their own wisdom. That kills genuine unity among God's people. And unity also suffers when part of the church decides to down their weapons. When they decide they've already fought long enough and hard enough for the sake of God's kingdom. They decide it's time to retire from the spiritual battle. When part of the church does that, it sucks the strength and courage out of the rest of the church. People look around and say to themselves, half of this bunch are just coasting. They're on the spiritual equivalent of gardening leave. 
Let's not fall into those traps. Let's all keep going till the race is finished and the work is done. And let's all of us commit not to turn from God's word, neither to the right nor to the left. Then we will prosper as a church body. What we do will count. The sure way to unity as a church is for each one of us individually to trust the promise of God's presence and the guidance of his word. Those are firm foundations for our strength and courage. And as we continue to think about those things, we're going to sing three songs. Let me explain why we're going to sing them. First of all, picking up on the first two points here, we're going to sing When You Pass Through the Waters, the promise of God's presence. And then we're going to sing From the Breaking of the Dawn, the guidance of His Word. And we'll close with a prayer for unity as we sing together, Lord of the Church. So let's respond as we sing these three songs.